Our scripture reading is Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3, in connection with Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism concerning the ascension of our Lord Jesus up into heaven. Colossians chapter 3, the apostles just said that you died with Christ. And now he says, Colossians 3 verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection." And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven." We turn from the scripture reading to the church's confession to page 218 in the Forms and Prayers book, page 218 
in the Forms and Prayers book. And as we continue our study of the Articles of the Apostles' Creed, we come then, as I said, to the confession of Christ's ascension into heaven. And bottom of page 218, question 46 asks, what do you mean by saying that Jesus ascended to heaven? We mean that Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Question 47, but isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth. But in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. If his humanity is not present, wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not. Since his divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that, he is, that has been taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is in, is in and remains personally united to his humanity. And turning the page, question 49. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is sitting at God's right hand. And so you hear Colossians 3 language echoed there. Let's bow before the Lord and ask him to bless us tonight. Heavenly Father, we ask once more in this day for your help, your blessing, and for your name to be magnified in our activity here below. We thank you for calling us to yourself, for being willing to speak to us, for preserving an inscripturated word, for gathering us as a people, and for promising your spirit. And we pray that you lift our hearts to heaven even now as we hear your word proclaimed to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, Congregation of Christ, we consider then this doctrine that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, that Jesus Christ, who, who died and arose, was lifted up into heaven, that he physically, bodily went into heaven to the throne above. And the Heidelberg Catechism helps us out here because it, it asks us to think about the benefit of this, right? That last question of Lord's Day 18 asks, how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? And you know, the, the Heidelberg Catechism is well-loved and has been well-loved throughout the ages and throughout so many lands because of its warm pastoral tone that it's, it's always asking those kind of questions. How does this benefit us? What's the advantage for us? And it's always impressing, it was written, you know, to be a good teaching tool for the children and the youth. It's always pressing upon them that these things matter, these things affect you. And so it is here. Well, what's the value that Christ has ascended to heaven? Is it just a change in address? Does it really make any difference in our lives? Well, the Catechism is always pressing home the point that we are not our own. We belong to another. As we mentioned this morning, it's never been really more necessary to, 
to, to hear that news that we're not our own because maybe more than ever before our culture has decided we are our own and we will decide how to live and, and all of that. And so people around us are in a, a world of misery. People are lost, they're confused, they're despairing. And we gather again to confess that we're not our own, but we belong to Christ. And now tonight to the ascended Christ, we belong. Very things people used to find some comfort in, or at least bring some stability to life. A job maybe that you you have for 40 years at the same company, or a family that stays together, or or a place, a geography, people didn't travel so far away, maybe things that used to bring stability, even if they weren't believers, they had a, a sense of belonging. Those things are, are gone in a lot of ways. And so more than ever now, the, the riches that are ours, that we belong to Christ, they begin to shine. And the more we see how rich we are, the more we should want to share that with a lost and confused world. Our belonging, our security, our identity is not found brothers and sisters, in our experience, but it's rooted in historical realities. Our our riches, our identity, our purpose is is rooted in, in realities, that the Son of God came down from heaven and assumed our flesh, that he died, he really died on a cross, that he arose from the dead, he really came back to life, was raised up with glorious life, And that he's been lifted to heaven, to the throne above. Those realities. Those realities. And now tonight we're considering this truth. That when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't ascend there alone, but he carried us to heaven. Carried us to heaven. Some years ago when we moved out here to Oregon, then I started going back for these uh, seminary meetings then my mother-in-law, who lives by the seminary there, with whom I would stay, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, she would joke that I should bring one of the children along in a suitcase, right? Well, when Christ ascended to heaven, he didn't bring us in a suitcase. We're not physically in heaven today. We're very much seated here. But our representative has gone into heaven, our pioneer, our captain, our forerunner. And because the head of the church is in heaven, you are in heaven. You have ascended in Christ in principle. Tonight I want to consider with you this spectacular truth that in Christ's ascension you have been raised with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, Especially drawing your attention tonight to those first four verses of Colossians 3 and to verse 3 in particular. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And what I want you to think about this evening and in these days ahead is that hidden in that word hidden are three aspects of being hidden. Hidden in that word hidden is first of all the idea of being concealed, right? If you hide something, you have put it out of view. Maybe people are buying, mothers buying Christmas presents and they're hiding them, they're, they're concealing them from view. Your life in Christ right now is hidden. Secondly, To hide something can mean, and I think the apostle means this as well here, can mean to put away for safekeeping. If you hide something, if you put it away beyond the reach of robbers, if you put it in a safe, for instance, you've hidden it away to be preserved. But then thirdly, hidden in that word hidden is the idea of waiting to be revealed. When you hide something, 
you generally hide it because you want to get it out someday. If you hide something in a safe, it's because you want to retrieve it. If you don't want to retrieve it, you could bury it in concrete. But if you get a safe with a door on it, the idea is that you want access to it. And so it is that our life, hidden right now, you can't see it, hidden right now, secure in heaven, is hidden in order to be revealed at Christ's coming. And if you get those three things straight tonight, then I think you'll understand the content of Lord's Day 18 and be greatly encouraged in the Christian life. Well, let's think about those. First of all, our life hidden in Christ means that it is hidden from view. It is unseen. We can't see and the world can't see the reality of our spiritual life in Jesus, the eternal life that we possess. Maybe I'll just begin with an illustration. You could think of it this way. Many of you know that over the past couple centuries, many Dutch people immigrated to America and to Canada. And I've heard stories sort of like this. Imagine a, an attractive Dutch girl who's ambitious. She's, she's busy with her work and all these things. She's always pressing forward. She's living in the Netherlands. And there's a particular fellow who notices her. He's attracted to her. He would like to get to know her. But as kind as she is to everybody, as, as diligent she is in all of her work, she gives him no opening. He can't seem to get close to her. And he, he thinks to himself, it's almost as if she has a boyfriend. But whenever he hears her talk to other girls about what she did on Friday night or Saturday, there's never a mention of any guy. And so he's wondering, what is it about her? What is it about her? And then at last... Somebody tells him the story that she's actually engaged to a guy who's gone to America and he's gone there to get a job and to secure some money and to secure a dwelling place. She's engaged to him and then he's going to come back and marry her and take her to their new home. And when the guy hears that, then everything makes sense to him. Why is she so focused? Why is she so determined? Why is she so not interested in me? Her life is hidden with another man in America. Her life is hid. What, what you can't see about her is that she belongs to another. She belongs to another man, to another place. Her life is hidden. Well, the apostle says something greater than just that we have an emotional attachment to Jesus or even a commitment in that way. It's that we're actually bound up with Jesus. He is our head. We are his body. And our head has gone into the heavens. We possess an eternal life that is not yet seen. Our life is hidden with a man in heaven. Now, let me back up for a moment. The Apostle Paul here in Colossians has been dealing with with the people here who have become the prey of some strange teaching. It's not even entirely clear what it was, a mix of Judaism with maybe some other Greek elements and so forth. But, but the Apostle Paul has been speaking to these people, calling them away from, from these things in chapter 2 he mentioned that were sort of earthly rituals, certain food laws, following a certain religious calendar and all these things. And apparently what has happened is that some in Colossae had begun to think that they were missing something in their spiritual lives. You know, we just don't feel like we have it all yet. And these false teachers came in and said, here, let us help you fill in the voids, what you're missing in your spiritual life. You need to not eat these foods and eat these foods and keep these holy days and do this, and then you'll have the voids filled in, you'll have real spiritual life. 
And we can understand why the Colossians would be tempted because we too often feel like, you know, I say I'm a Christian, I hear the preacher preach about these things, but I still feel like something's missing. Well, something is missing. Our life is hidden. We're joined to Jesus in heaven, but we don't yet see the glory revealed. The Apostle Paul is reminding them that you died to the old order of things. And you've been raised to a new life in Jesus through his resurrection and his ascension. You have spiritual life now. You've been born again. You've been given a life from above. And so you have everything you need in Christ without adding man-made ideas. So seek your life above. Seek the things above where Christ is. You have life in Christ. You have the complete forgiveness of sins. You have a new heart that loves God and his law. You have communion with God. You have a guaranteed eternity and all those things. But the apostle is saying, here's the rub. Here's the rub. You can't see it yet. And neither can the world. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden. Not visible. We're all prone to live according to what we can see, what we can see with our eyes, what we can lay our hands upon. And the apostle is saying, you have a union with Christ in heaven that, that is not visible to the eyes. Your forerunner has triumphantly entered into glory. You didn't even have to fight his way. And he was received in because he was victorious on the cross. He bore all your sin. He was welcomed into heaven. And you were welcomed with him into heaven. But you can't see that yet. Now you think about that. The world can't see it, and you can't see it. The world can't see it. I mean, when you go to work tomorrow, people don't, wow, royalty. There's a, there is a prince. There is a princess. That one, their father, owns the world. This is, this, is, this is the living king's daughter or son. People don't do that. They don't see your glory. Jesus said, they're going to hate you because they hated me. I mean, we had the prince of glory, right? The the Son of God come and they crucified him. They could not see his glory, right? Your glory is also hidden. Romans 8 says that believers are considered as sheep led to the slaughter. Believers don't appear any more glorious than unbelievers, and often they appear far less glorious, right? You can imagine Muslim mothers telling their children, about those Christians who just had to leave their home behind and were run out of town. Muslim mothers telling their children how despicable those Christians are. They're just like rats scurrying away. That's how Christians look. Apostle Paul said we're considered as the scum of the earth. In Romans 8, the apostle says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists all these things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword... And what are all those things but the ways the world treats the Christian? Persecutions against God's people. Then he quotes Psalm 44 and says, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. You don't have to read many issues of Voice of the Martyrs to to discover that that in Muslim lands, if you become a baptized Christian, you begin going to church, that your family might be horrified might be so ashamed they would rather you were dead. 
That's interesting, isn't it? Here's a person who is destined to reign with Christ eternally, and their family thinks that they'd be better if that loved one was dead. Now you begin to see it. 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what shall be. So don't expect the world to recognize your glory or to confirm your identity. Peter has to tell Christians, 1 Peter 4.16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him not be ashamed. You know, if you're a Christian living in, as Peter's readers were, living in pagan cities, and you're supposed to worship the local deities, and if you don't worship local deities and they have a bad year with the crops, then hey, it's your fault, you made our gods mad. Or you're told that you're not a true patriot, or you're ruining your family, and they begin to beat on you with words or with hands or put you in prison. You might feel pretty ashamed and think, I, I don't know, I guess I'm doing something wrong. And Peter says, no, don't be ashamed. They don't see the glory. Don't feel ashamed. Remember that tomorrow at work. Remember that as you go to school. The world doesn't see the glory of your life in Christ Jesus. But it's not just that the world doesn't see it. It's also hidden from our view. I mean, we have these glorious realities. According to Lord's Day 18, we have our advocate in heaven. An amazing thing. We have an advocate in heaven. Christ has ascended into heaven as our representative. He's there having delivered the sacrifice for our sins. He intercedes for us before the Father. He, he represents our interests in the, the courtroom of heaven. We don't always feel that way, do we? And we have a pledge in heaven. Our own flesh is there, guaranteeing that we in the body one day will be there. But we don't always feel that. We can't See it, it's hidden from our view. And so if you feel like something's missing, well, in a sense it is. It's not yet revealed. We're hoping. What is it to hope but to look for something that is not yet fulfilled? That's the nature of the Christian life. John Calvin writes, Nor does this teach that our life is hid merely in the opinion of the world, but even as to our own view, because this is the true and necessary trial of our hope, that being encompassed with death, we may seek life somewhere else than in the world. This is our trial, Calvin's saying. It's not just it's hidden from the world, but it's hidden from us. We gather for worship, and we can't see with our eyes the glory of our spiritual life in Christ Jesus. But Calvin says, our life is said to be hidden here in Colossians 3, so that we may not murmur or complain if our life being buried under the shame of the cross and under various distresses differs nothing from death, but we may patiently wait for the day of revelation. Being a Christian means being prepared to live knowing that your life is hidden. 
If you insist on having it all now, then you go the route of the Colossians and you try to find on the, find the if you don't switch religions and you try to add to Christianity, you've got to add some things, add some rules, add something to make me feel glorious. But as we learn to live by faith, then we learn our life is hidden beyond view. So we need to live a kind of life in which you recognize that we don't have everything yet. Remembering who we are in the world. So Lord's Days are important to us, aren't they? Because it's here that we return again to word and sacrament to be reminded of our identity, our destiny, and our spiritual riches in Christ Jesus. So our lives are hidden because they're unseen. But secondly tonight, our lives are hidden because they are tucked safely away and kept forever. Again, as we mentioned, if you put your riches, your jewelry, your important documents in a safe, it's because you want to take them out at some point. You want to unveil them. You want to, to use them. But, but in the meantime, they're tucked away securely. And that's the point here. The apostle says your life is hidden in Christ. It is beyond the reach of the enemies. It's been brought to a place of indestructible security. Christ has deposited your life in heaven. In fact, he says it very strongly here. He says that your life, verse 3, is hidden with Christ in God. With Christ in God. Two phrases. One old commentator says uh, it's a double rampart, all divine. It's a double wall of fortress. In Christ, in God. God knows it's not easy for us to walk through the wilderness here below. And we suffer in various ways. We might wonder, am I a child of God? Am I destined to reign? And so he stacks up these expressions to assure us that no one's going to take away your life in Christ. It's out of danger. God does not take anything for safekeeping that he, that he will not be faithful to keep. Remember what the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1, Paul tells Timothy not to be ashamed to be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, First, uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 8. And then the apostle will go on to say that this gospel he preaches, uh, he's going to keep on preaching. Verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul is saying, they can beat on me, but they're not going to take away my life. It is hidden with Christ in God. Our life is hidden in God, but it's hidden in Christ. And Christ's life is, is an indestructible life, right? Christ has been raised from the dead with an indestructible life. He says in Revelation chapter 1, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So if your life is hidden in Christ, and Christ's life is indestructible, he has died never to die again, then nothing can happen to your life in Christ. Our lives are bound with his. If he's going to live forever, we're going to live forever. If he's going to reign forever, we're going to reign forever. If he cannot die, then we cannot ultimately die 
If his enemies cannot bring him down from the throne, then his enemies cannot steal our spiritual riches. We are safe in Christ Jesus. We have Christ above, our advocate, interceding for us before God, and we have Christ's spirit on earth. He pours out his spirit upon us to guard us here below. Catechism spoke about those things and a couple questions and answers there that were maybe seem a little obscure to us. Question 47 says, but isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised? And as I understand it, the issue here in these two questions and answers, 47 and 48, had to do with the Lutherans and the controversy that was going on between the Reformed and the Lutherans at the time the Catechism was written, but Lutherans, as I understand it, some of them were saying, look at Jesus' promise to be with us to the end of the age, Matthew 28. And you, Reformed, are saying his body is only in heaven. Well, then how is he with us? See, the Lutherans were teaching that at Christ's ascension, his physical nature, his human body took on the properties of his divine nature. And so his human body became ubiquitous or everywhere present which then allowed them to say that the Lord's Supper, Christ's physical body was present. And as you eat the bread and drink the wine, the literal physical body of Christ is in, with, and under the elements of bread and wine because Christ's body is everywhere present. So it's a little different than the Roman Catholics who were saying that, that the bread turns into the body. Lutherans didn't want to say that, but they wanted to say Christ was physically present. So they said his body is everywhere present because his human nature takes on the properties of divine nature. And the reformer said, no, 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 no. He has a real human body, and a real human body can only be in one place at one time, and so his body is right now in heaven. And then, as I understand it, some would say, well, then well, how is he with his people like he promised? And we answer, well, his body is not with us. But his divine nature is, his majesty is, his grace is, his spirit is always present with us. And then the Lutherans retorted, well, then you've, you've separated the two natures of Christ. And so question 48 says no. His body's in one place, but his divine nature is everywhere present. And therefore, there's always the two united together. That where is human nature, there his divine presence is also. And so his two natures are always perfectly united. So that explains the historical circumstance. But what we have to see when we talk about our life being hidden securely in Christ is this, that we have a double pledge, like a couple getting married. Man gives a ring and pledges fidelity to his wife. The wife, woman, gives a ring and pledges her faithfulness to her husband. There's a double pledge, so we have a double pledge. Christ has taken our flesh into heaven. Our human nature, our real human body, is in heaven right now on the throne. And then from heaven, Christ has sent us his spirit, and he indwells us. Both of these are guaranteeing that one day, the glory will be revealed. And that brings us to the last point tonight. That hidden, hidden in Christ, our life hidden in Christ, is not only that it's concealed or unseen, it's not only that it's safely tucked away where none can destroy it or take it away, but thirdly, it's hidden away in order to be revealed at the proper time. Nobody stashes gold under a tree in the days of the gold rush to leave it under the tree forever, but to 
bring it out at the proper time. And so the apostle says in Colossians 3 verse 4, well, let me read 3 and 4 together. Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that beautiful? When Christ appears, Paul says, he's talking about the return of Jesus, the second coming of our Lord Jesus. We confess in the catechism that Christ has ascended up into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the voice of a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. So it's going to be this public, undeniable event. Don't believe that Jehovah's Witnesses or anyone else who claim that Christ already came back and nobody saw it. Now when he comes, every eye will see it. It's going to be a glorious event, loud event, bright event. And on that day, we'll be lifted up. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the voice of a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. When Christ's glory is at last revealed. It's coming a day when, when all these enemies who blaspheme Jesus, ignore Jesus, will have to reckon with the visible, bodily, glorious appearance of Jesus. His glory will be revealed, right? People are going to fall down and crowd for mountains to crush the life out of them. When his glory is revealed, but Paul says, when, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And your glory in Christ will be revealed. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3 again. 2 Thessalonians 1 says that when Christ is revealed from heaven with his angels and flaming fire, he'll take vengeance on those who don't know him and harass his people. But he will come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. You see, on that last day, the wickedness of the unbeliever will be revealed. Even the upright, supposedly, citizen who lives by such a high moral code but who all along has been rejecting the gospel of Jesus, refusing to bow at Christ's coming. The wickedness of the unbeliever will be revealed. But on that day, the righteousness of the Christian in Christ will be revealed. If that day is coming, then how shall we live? The apostle says, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. If your life belongs to a man in another realm, then live that way. It's not hard to imagine the illustration I gave of a Dutch young lady who is very focused, very determined, knows exactly where she's headed. She's executing her job. She's 
She's determined. She's looking towards a particular date. We're to live as those who belong to another realm. It doesn't mean that we don't eat food and we don't work on earth or throw a football or anything like that. It means that we live according to the principles of our king who is above. F.F. Bruce, famous New Testament commentator, writes on Colossians, What then are the practical implications of being raised with Christ? In the first place, believers have now no private life of their own. Their life is the life of Christ, maintained in being by him at God's right hand and shared by him with all his people. Their interests must therefore be his interests. Instead of waiting until the last day to receive the resurrection life, those who have been raised with Christ possess it here and now. The new creation has already begun in them. Spiritually, that is to say, in Christ, they belong to the new age to come and enjoy its life. It's a striking statement to me that we have no private life. We have have no little thing we do on our own here. We belong entirely to Christ who is in heaven, who reigns, who is a mighty king, who is coming again. Our interests must be his interests. Our lives are his. He lives in us. His spirit dwells in us. And so our bond to the old order of things, to the realm of sin, has been devastated. And we are to live for our coming king. To seek those things which are above. And so we have to remind ourselves minute by minute it's not business as usual in my life anymore. I've died. I've died to the old way. Sin no longer reigns over me. It's no longer my master. It's no longer my goal or my destiny. My life is hidden with Christ in God. So let me seek the things of my master above. Let me live like someone who knows where he's going. Let me rejoice in the gladness that no matter what the world does, no matter how they beat on me, they can't take away my riches. I've been raised with Christ. And he's coming back soon. Do you see the benefit of Christ's ascension into heaven? He has secured for you forever life with God. May God grant us grace this week to live that way. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word and for lifting our eyes to our place with Christ in the highest of heavens. How we long for Christ's coming and how we want to be ready. How we want to have lived well here below for his glory. Awaken us, O Lord. Renew in us again that hope. And though we can't see it with our physical eyes, give us the eyes of faith to see Jesus in glory. And as looking into a mirror to behold ourselves there in heaven, hear us, God, in Jesus' name, amen.